Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible out and let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. That's where we are um, in this series, and I won't go back and uh, uh, review as much as I have been reviewing, but we're in a great place in the Gospel of Mark. You want to turn to chapter 6. So... Um, this is a sort of a, actually a familiar scene to a lot of us. I don't know uh, if you've been in this position before, but let me, uh, let me illustrate just a little bit because Jesus goes home in this scene, back to where he grew up as a boy. I, uh, you know, Linda and I, uh, we're in a nice home right now. And, and, you know, sometimes we go out to the backyard and we have this really big pool out there. And it was always full of teenagers and kids and everything. And it's such a great thing. And sometimes now Linda and I are going, wow, there's nobody home. We should fill this in with dirt. You know, it's just one of those things, right? Where we, we use it as much as we can, but it had a season where it was just, you know, can you fit any more kids in there? I mean, it's a pool where we've had like 30 people in that swimming pool at the same time. And then they get out and it's like half empty, right? Because it <laughs> spooshes the water out. And uh, so, so when my daughter went away to school for the first time, it was a little shocking. We still had a lot of activity with my son home, but we dropped her off at school in Southern California. And uh, wow, it was emotional. Sort of, sort of took me by surprise, Right. And she was kind of like, hey, we'll see you later. You know, we're like going to stick around and kind of enjoy the day and everything. She's like, yeah, I, uh, I'll see you. You know, and we're like, okay, I guess we'll just tour around. And um, so it was great. You know, she's a freshman. She had already, you know, she's already doing all kinds of really cool stuff. And, and uh, where she went to school, they kind of kicked you out as parents anyway. They set you down and said, hey, let go, would you? You know, this is a big deal, but, uh, you know, they'll be fine. And uh, so it was great, right? And we're driving home, and, and, and I was feeling really emotional. And Linda's like, I'm looking at Linda, she's like, all right, you know? Like, what has happened? You know, I expected to be that one. And, and uh, so um, it was really great, you know? And we thought, well, you know, our, our oldest daughter, Cam, she'll call. She'll call, you know? Like three weeks later, we got a call, you know, we're like, are you, are you okay? You know, but only after we called her, right? So uh, she was great. She didn't need us and, and we didn't talk hardly at all. But um, she came home at Thanksgiving. That was her first time home. It was awesome. You know, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, we've been missing her and we're just excited. I think she's excited to come home. So we all pile in the Jeep, go to the airport, you know, and the Tucson airport's kind of cool. You, you stand there and wait for people to walk down these stairs and you see those, you know, like those TV monitors and cameras. You can tell them when they're coming. Oh, of course, Kim. She's last. I think she's doing it on purpose, it feels like, but she shows up last. You know, we're waiting and waiting. Everybody's gone, it seems like. And then she comes rolling down and everything and and I'm like, what in the world? And so she comes down those stairs and, and uh, my son and, and Linda, you know, they, 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 she, you know, they embrace her and everything, you know, and they're hugging. And I'm like, I don't know, they're talking just the way they're acting. I'm going, something's not right. Something's different. What's going on? I could just tell. I could just tell. So then they're all sort of whispering and I'm like, what is this? And so, you know, I kind of hoard in there to, you know, and... Cambria has a lip ring. 
It's like lip ring right there. And uh, so, yeah, I took a deep breath and I was, I just took a deep breath and I was like, all right, I'm like praying and, and I'm just like, I'm going to pretend like I don't see it. You know, but I'm already sweating. <laughs> so I give her a kind of a loose embrace. And we go out to the Jeep and get in, right? And Linda's going, <laughs> Mitchell, my son, he's going, it's going to be the best Thanksgiving. <laughs> and we get in the Jeep and, uh, you know, uh, Mitchell is in the, front seat. Linda gets in the back seat, I think, because she's feeling like she might need to be a shield. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking in the rear view mirror, and they're like talking, you know, whispering back and forth, and Mitchell's going, ah, this is the best, <laughs> right? And I'm just like, the adrenaline inside me is like taking over, right? Uh, it is just whatever. And I'm driving down that road, you know, from Valencia, uh, Valencia, you know, that road that they've waited for 800 years to pave the second time, you know, it's like pothole city and you're just going, what in the world? And, you know, we're rattling down that road and I'm thinking, why doesn't Tucson fill in there? What are they, when are they, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm trying to do everything. And that road is making me angry because they're just now paving and it's still a mess in half of it, you know, and it's just, I'm beside myself and I get about halfway down past that, that air museum, you know, right, right around there and there's a shoulder and I just pull the Jeep over because I think I'm going to explode. I pull the Jeep over and I lean around and I just, I couldn't control myself. I mean, I exploded and I was, you know, what are you thinking? Oh, I just, I, you know, I'm like, serious. You know, and everybody's just like, you know. So I'm like, I gotta get control of myself. So I open the door and I, I get out because there's so much adrenaline in me. I think I'm gonna puke. <laughs> I'm over the side of the road going, ha ha, you know. And uh, I'm thinking, man, you know, I, I, and I'm not being flippant, but you know those bicycles that memorialize things on the side of the road? I'm all, this is where Cammy's gonna go right here. Right, it's gonna be a murder, and uh, uh, you know I'm right here in Valencia, and and uh, maybe I'll donate some money to fix the road, you know. Oh, I was beside myself, right? And so Cammy gets out of the car, you know, because uh, Mitchell was gonna get out, and Linda's like, no. <laughs> so Cammy gets out, and she comes over, and. Uh, you know, she's like, dad, 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 you know, relax, it's okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown woman. <laughs> oh, not for long. <laughs> I mean, man, I, I just, I, you know, I, it's just, everything is like taking over. I, 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 I'm just beside myself. This is my oldest, my daughter, you know, she loves, oh, uh, you know, I'm like, what has happened? What, you know, I'm thinking about the school, like you're gonna, you know. And uh, she's, so uh, she gives me a hug again, and I'm like, whatever, we'll talk about this at home. So then she realizes it's gone pretty far, and uh, man, this is not turning out good. I'm in the car, she's in the car, and she's like, Dad, 
I feel like she got back in the car for safety reasons. And um, so she's like, Dad, Dad, um, it's, uh, it's okay. You know, look, it's okay. And she unclips this thing off of her lip and she goes, it's just fake. So I get back out of the car. Now I'm fired up for a different reason. Right? And I'm just, you know, wow. So she's like, Dad, I would never, you know, do anything. You know, come on, you know. And I'm like, I, it, you know, so it was, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I get back in the car and we drive home and there are no words. So... You know, I eventually came off the edge, and then we talked about things and stuff, but uh, man, Cammie knows how to push my buttons. Wow. She's like, that was a good one, huh? And I'm like, oh, guys, you know, Mitchell's like, that was the best. You know, Linda was like, I don't know, you guys, I, I think it was super sketchy. <laughs> You know who your dad is, right? So, um, you know, it just wasn't what I was expecting. I'm thinking my little girl. I mean, I'm just thinking through the lens of she's this high, right? I, I just, I couldn't process it. You know, I couldn't process it. You know, if you got one of those lip ring things, I, it's okay. Just don't want my daughter having one, okay? So, you know, it was, wow, it was epic. It was epic. Because she, she, you know, she, she was all dressed kind of in black and she kind of gothic style and you know she did some she put on really heavy makeup and stuff just worked it you know and um it was all fake right so she got me going but that was our first experience when she came home you know and then that weekend you know it was a good weekend but still you know she you know she's been gone for a while and you treat people a little different you know as your parents you, you you're just looking through that lens she's had great experiences she's going to church she's worshiping she's studying God's word she's experiencing all kinds of freedom all kinds of good things are happening in her life you right but I'm still stuck back to where she was you know in, in in high school and around that you know I'm just like this is my kid this is my girl right my oldest and I love her and she's innocent and all these kinds of things. You know, I'm just stuck back there and she's moved on already. It's Thanksgiving, right? And you continue to experience those things as your kids come uh, back from school and, and other places, right? And they get married and they do other things and they come home and you're like, what has happened? We don't drink out of plastic bottles. It's bad for the environment. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, we do, you know. You didn't grow up, like, I, I don't know, there's nothing wrong with being environmental, but you, know, you start realizing they got their own passions and loves and dreams and all these things and, and you're going, okay, well, I guess we're doing it wrong, right? And you kind of have that, a little bit of that tension. This story right here with Jesus is just like that. He goes home. I mean, it's just like it. Mark chapter six, there's 13 verses, check it out. It's just like it. In a Jesus kind of way though, right? Jesus left that place and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. You know, he does that. Many of you who heard him were astonished, were sort of used to that saying, but not this. Look at this. 
Where did he get these ideas? And what is this wisdom that he's been given, uh, that has been given to him? What are these miracles that are done through his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And so they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, this is awesome. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives in his own house, he was not able to do a miracle there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed because of their unbelief. I mean, Jesus is amazed. That's, that's unique. And then he went around among the villages and taught. Verse seven, Jesus, he called the 12. So he's got his guys with him in tow, right? His 12 guys. So he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. And he put on sandals, but uh, uh, he said to put on sandals, but not to wear two tunics. I don't want you to have a coat basically or something extra. He said to them, wherever you, uh, uh, whenever you, or wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the area. If a place will not welcome you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they, they went out and they preached that all should repent. They cast out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Wow, this is pretty fantastic story. Coming home is big. Coming home is different. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. When I, I grew up in Prescott, Linda and I were in San Jose for 16 years, I, but Arizona is my home and Prescott, Arizona is my hometown. Whenever I go back there, people still know me. I talk to people all the time and some people are like, you're a pastor? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a lot different than when I was 17, Right? I'm a totally different person and wasn't terrible or anything like that. But, you know, some people are like, whoa, I don't remember you that way, right? And they kind of get stuck there. Even your parents, my parents sometimes, you know, um, my family, whenever I come around, you know, they're not think of, thinking of me as a pastor. I'm, it's totally different, right? It's completely different. It's not a bad thing. It's just what happens, so Jesus comes home and he goes to the home, uh, you know, this is where he grew up as a boy. This is the neighborhoods he grew up in. And uh, he's, you know, this is where he had a job as a carpenter. So Nazareth doesn't exactly embrace him, I think, the way they should, right? So the, this is the first reception. Jesus comes home right here in these first six verses. And then Nazareth takes offense at its, as his native son uh, as, uh, um, in the first three verses. So Jesus is set out, you know, last week we talked about this from Jairus' home. That's where he raised this little girl from the dead. And he comes into the hometown of Nazareth. Mark's careful about something. He's careful that uh, he has his disciple uh, to, to note that he has his disciples in tow with him. This is a big deal. Jesus has his guys with him. It's an intentional by Jesus. And so Mark is making sure that you know this and you understand it. 
This is a part of, in other words, your discipleship journey, the journey of disciples. He wants them to observe and know and see and experience some things. And I think in particular, what you're gonna see here is he wants them to experience and understand what uh, his experiences are. That's it. So he goes to the synagogue, that's his custom. He begins to teach. Mark doesn't record the content of the teaching. You gotta go to Luke. You know, Luke uh, in chapter four, he records that, but it's controversial, we know that. And the right, uh, uh, Mark's interest is in capturing the reaction of people that Jesus provoked. That's his intention there. So their response provoked a series of four questions revolving around the tension of what they had just seen and heard and what they knew about Jesus and his background. So here's the first question that kind of comes up. You find it real easy. It, it's, uh, it's one question, but it kind of seems like three, but it's one question. It's like, where did he get these ideas? What is this wisdom that uh, has been given to him? And what are these miracles that are done through his hands? It's it's shockingly impersonal, actually. Because they don't even say his name, right? They can't even pronounce his name because for fear that their lips are gonna be unclean. This is like, what, right? Their ears hear his wisdom, but their frustration, you know, they can't identify its source. They're sort of blinded, right? They can see, they can hear, but they're not, you know, and they're going, you don't have any rabbinical training. What? So their eyes witness these miracles, but their minds just can't perceive the source. Here's the second thing. Forced to further ponder this and think about it, right? They're sort of forced into it. They focus on his occupation and his family background. That's the lens that they view everything through, right? For 30 years, this is the way they know Jesus. And then he goes and he gets baptized and all this, and he comes home and uh, this is really different. Isn't this the carpenter, you know, isn't this the carpenter? <laughs> That's the second one, right? Now, Palestinian Jews, they're not, um, you know, dis they don't despise manual labor. Nothing like that. But in this case, they define Jesus by his occupation, much as the modern world does. You know, sometimes I get defined by my occupation. I'm fine with that. But sometimes I, I uh, you know, in particular, uh, one way to illustrate is sometimes I go play golf and, and you can't, you know, I don't always get to go with it, you know, somebody, but once in a while I've been out there and it, you can walk onto a golf course and when you do, then they pair you up with two or three other people, right? That's the way golf works. You play in fours. So it's, it's pretty awesome. I like doing it. So you get, I get paired with three people I don't even know. It's pretty great. I, I wait and I wait and I wait and I hold off as long as I can telling them what I, who I am and what I do. I try that really hard because when people find out who I am, it just changes, you know? Their language changes and they, you know, all of a sudden they're going to church and all this kind of stuff, right? And they're super careful, right? So I kind of hold off for a long time and usually about the back nine, you know, and there's three or four holes left. Somebody gets around to it. I can't keep from it because I ask questions and I'm visiting and they're like hey what are you doing I'm a pastor of Vail Christian Church and then whoa you know oh it's amazing what kind of life you know and then they're thinking about their land they're thinking about all this stuff right and it just changes everything I get treated different you know and and they're more respectful and the, you know all that kind of stuff and then they talk about all the church things that they can possibly think of <laughs> it's okay but I get it but people change you know, you get defined by your occupation sometime. 
In this regard, how could this local carpenter suddenly break in as a prophet? I mean, come on. You know, they can't see it. Here's the third thing. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now think about this a minute. It's contrary to Jewish custom to describe a man as the son of his mother, okay? You just don't do that. Or even when the father, uh, uh, even when the father is no longer living, you just don't do that except in insulting terms. So it's likely that rumors to the effect that Jesus was illegitimate, probably circulated around his hometown. Wow, they can't be sure, but it's kind of insulting. Wow. Then here's the fourth, uh, fourth thing. Well, any Ill, Ill, uh, illegitimate stuff, that would cause a lot of pain to a Jew at this time. But the fourth one, they bring up the issue of his brothers and sisters. Isn't this the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brothers of James and jo, uh, Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? As they wrestle with astonishment, right, of what they had just seen and heard about Jesus and place it under the defining lens of his occupation and his family background, their astonishment quickly evaporates and it's, 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 it's replaced with contempt, actually. They get kind of ornery. Whenever people view, are only willing to view Jesus through the lens of just his flesh, you know, him being a man, the man part, in this case, his family origin, you become caught in this trap of unbelief and you're unable to see the kingdom of God. Maybe you know some people like that who just believe that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, right? But he's not God. And it just puts up this roadblock and sort of traps you into unbelief. It happens all the time. But Jesus, you know, he's... I'm sure he's, dis- he's absolutely disappointed. This is a disappointment. Have you ever felt like this? You go home and this is the way you get treated. People don't understand. Maybe your life was a lot different, but now it's been changed and transformed and you're a totally different person. It's been years or whatever. And you come home and it's just like you get sort of pegged a certain way. You know, I know my wife Linda grew up in a family that, uh, you know, she came to Christ later and she comes back and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, what did you do? You know, when she's introducing them to or me to them, right? They're like, you know, and they don't see the transformation necessarily. They're like, this is Linda. What, you know, I can't believe this. You married a pastor? This is crazy. So skillfully, Jesus cuts through the shame of their contempt and he exposes the real nature of their unbelief, Right? And he, uh, he reacts to the rejection. Verses four, five, and six in the first half. And he says to them, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own house. So Jesus, he gives, uh, he, he answers firmly that he's a prophet in Israel. And he uses words like hometown and relatives, you know, and his own household And it's alluding to, you know, Abraham had some of the same things going on in his life. So God called Abraham 
to be a prophet, to leave his country, his home, his family, and everything. And, and uh, this is what he was going to face. Israel's first pro, uh, prophet. God said, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. So these verses are uh, uh, the very heart of Old Testament theology and Jesus is um, uh, uh, reflecting something here, right? Abraham was the father of Israel. He's called to inherit a new land and become the people of God. He had to separate himself from country, relatives, family. Jesus is implying that he himself is a new prophet. That's what's happening. He's a new prophet set out on a mission as large as Abraham's to inherit a new land larger than Israel. That's what's echoing right here. Verse five and six, he was not able to do a miracle there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed because of their unbelief. This is crazy. Because of their unbelief, Mark records all this, right? He's not able to do miracles except for some of these uh, other things, laying on hands and, and, and stuff like that. For Jesus to do miracles in the face of unbelief would further, this is why Jesus doesn't do this, by the way, because it would further harden their hearts uh, in the community and his family against, right, against any future possibilities of repentance. So he knows I need to back up here and not do this. It's gonna take it too far. Maybe have members of your family have turned a deaf ear, right? And you know when you just gotta go, okay, and you just gotta kind of let it roll off your back so to speak. You want to tell them all about this really great transformation and change, but it's just not going to happen. You found yourself kind of locked out, maybe in silence, and it's sorrowful. It's kind of sad. The text tells us how Jesus felt. He was amazed because of their unbelief. Don't be surprised. Doesn't, doesn't it surprise you that Jesus was amazed by uh, his family's lack of faith? Yeah, it stung, it hurt. Because Jesus studied as well in his study of Israel's past and prophecies about him. All of that had prepared him for the initial rejection. So he knew what was coming, but Jesus was still astonished that after his teaching and miracles and it moves all these people, it just, you know, it's like dried up whatever in front of these guys because of their inability to break free from family familiarity, right? So he was amazed. In the next scene though, here's the second point. In the next scene, we see uh, what Jesus did in the face of this rejection. In this, in this second reception, he sends out the 12 guys, Right? So verses, second half of verse six through 13, you know, he went around among the villages and he taught and Jesus called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority. This is, note this, he gave them authority. Here's the discipleship part. He gives them the mission, the authority over uh, the unclean spirits. He instructs them to take nothing for the journey. This is a big deal, except for a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. You know, put on sandals, but don't wear two tunics. Wherever you are in your house, stay there until you leave that area. If a place won't welcome you or if, uh, if a place will not welcome you or listen to you, 
as you go out from there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. That means something and there's something about that, right? And so they went out and they preached that all should repent. They cast out a lot of demons and many sick with olive, uh, olive oil and healed them. So three things in this piece right here. There's three things to notice. First, the kingdom is not thwarted by rejection. We don't like rejection. I don't like to be rejected, but it, the kingdom's not thwarted. Every, everything's not going to fall in the dumper just because you're rejected. And if you're not feeling any rejection, maybe you're just not quite living it in the way that you should. Rejection is part of it. It's part of the journey. It's a part of discipleship. Not everybody's going to embrace the changes in your life, uh, who you are, the transformation, what you're all about, and what's important to you now as you cast off other things. In your discipleship journey, this is gonna happen. In fact, the rejection at Nazareth enhances and multiplies by 12. The new creation and the work of the mission of Jesus, think about this now. He sends out 12 guys now. So sometimes rejection produces some stuff. He commissions them, delegates, entrusts his work and mission to them. And they are fully empowered with authority. We are, you are fully empowered with authority. He wants them to see that. I'm giving you my mission and, and, and you're responsible for it. And I've equipped you with all the tools you need. Jesus was rejected at home, but as a consequence, a miniature Israel, a miniature Israel complete with 12 tribes is reborn in Galilee. You see what happened? Look at the bigger picture here. And I found the same to be true in my own life. Not everybody embraces what I do, who I grew up with, and in my family. But I'm telling you, it produces something. Amazing things. Rejection enhances the life of the new creations. Expect it. It's a part of your discipleship journey. Expect it, embrace it. Here's the second thing here, right? That, that emerges out of this part of the text. Jesus sent out, uh, they, they were sent, sent out these guys by faith, solely by faith. They're to take very little, no food, no money, no any of these things, right? They're to totally depend on Israel's hospitality. Man, when, when, when that happens, you know, that's why he said just one tunic because I don't want you rolling up your second one as a sleeping bag or a pillow or try to keep warm. When you have to depend on the indigenous folks around you, you're not tempted to do other things, right? You're, you're forced to make contact. You're forced to build relationships. To penetrate homes. You gotta get out there. It's awesome. So when Cammie uh, went away to school, guess what she was not allowed to take to school? A car. Sorry. If you're going to go away to school and you think you're going to get a car, your parents might change your mind after I say this. But it was the best thing I ever did. In fact, I took it into the next semester. She was there three semesters out of the car. You know what she had to do? She had to make friends. <laughs> she had to make friends. She was going to get off of the campus. It was awesome. She was dependent on other people. So she, she learned quickly how to make friends. That was a really great experience for him. And that, that's what Jesus is trying to do here. I want you to get personal with folks, build relationships, depending on the hospitality of the locals for your provision. It does wonders for your faith. 
sweet. It was really good. So thirdly, you know, Jesus prepares them for the same kind of reception he received. It's going to happen. Some homes are like the home of Jairus, and they're going to go like this, right? They're going to welcome you with all open arms, and, and you're going to remain there, he says, until, you know, you leave. But it's not going to always be like that. Their background, these guys are going to be called into question. Their training come under scrutiny and their message uh, will be refused. Expect that kind of stuff. Expect all that. Who are you? What is, you know, oh, you think you're better? Or, you know, all, all those kind of, I, I don't know. If you're living it, it's going to come into question. In the face of rejection, they were to shake the dust off of their feet as a testimony against them. And in this act, the 12 were saying that if people refuse to join the new Israel, they're, they're no longer Israel, they're just Gentiles. They're Gentiles. Not that they don't need Jesus, but Jesus says, keep moving, keep moving. You're gonna face that kind of stuff. So there's some implications. Let's just draw that together really quick. What are the implications of this story? Here's the first one. Rejection, though painful, it's necessary, so expect it. Expect rejection. If you're living it, if you're really living it, within your family, outside of your family, at work, at friends, at school, at sports, and you know, all this stuff that we're a part of, if you're living it the way Jesus wants you to live it, expect rejection. It's, it can be painful. It can be hurtful. You can see it in, in Jesus and the way he reacts how he's amazed, you gotta know that stings and that hurts. But expect it, it's a, part, it's a part of a disciple of Christ. Familiarity does not, uh, familiarity does not enhance spirit, spirituality more, more than likely, it breeds contempt. It breeds contempt in people that really know you. It's difficult to identify and appreciate the work of the spirit among those who know you best in the flesh. It's just the way it is. That's why rejection often comes from those closest to us. Have you experienced that? It kind of stings, doesn't it? But you have to face the fact that you're probably gonna, uh, you're never gonna get the praise and the recognition that you long for from your family or home of origin, people that are closest to you. So this leads to the next, the next implication here or principle. Rejection, though painful, is profitable. So welcome it. It's profitable. Welcome it. It, it, it pushes you into a new larger family onto a stage much larger than home. There's a lot at stake here. There's a lot of folks out there. There's a lot of people in your sphere of influence. And the stage encompasses the entire world, by the way. It becomes global. It takes you, it takes you to places that you, never, you thought you'd never go. It sets you free to love with a larger capacity, larger than maybe you've ever dreamed of. That ache of rejection becomes a channel to love folks and to connect with people. So welcome it. We have a role to play in new creation though. We have a role to play. Here's the third implication. What is our role? What is our role? The best gift you can give to the next generation. In, some, in, in lots of cases, your children and others. The best gift I think my parents ever did gave me was get out 
Sounds funny, but they kicked me out. Not, not kicked me out, you know what I mean. Like, get a job. You need to start paying rent. Sorry, you can't be on our cell phone plan. I know it's cheaper, Dad. No, it's cheaper. We got to, you know, it's only 10. Get your own plan, right? You got to start living uh, uh, differently. Oh, when I got out, man, that's where I had to really live it and I had to own it. Had to, had to look at church uh, a lot differently. Experience all these things. It's part of the discipleship journey. Maybe we should think that through with, our, our, uh, with the next generation or our children. It's a part of all this stuff. Equipping and training our children to thrive in a world where they're gonna face a lot of difficulty. That's where you find out who you are in Christ. When you walk in new arenas, and there's nobody to care for you and protect you. And that's where you discover the kingdom of God and the love of Christ. And who you are in Jesus when you own it for yourself. Today, we're baptizing some folks who, uh, it, it, it was awesome. Uh, after first hour, it was awesome. And they, um, and hearing their stories, right? Hearing their stories as they embrace Jesus and, and, and are learning and growing and, and owning it for themselves and testimony, their testimony and, uh, out there, is, it, it's, it was fantastic. And you're gonna get to experience it um, again right here, a couple of people. So don't walk past the baptistry. Let's get out there and listen to people's story for a few minutes because it'll motivate you, it'll challenge you. We're baptizing folks today. This is what it's all about. Remember these verses out of 2 Corinthians 5. So then from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. Why? Why? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what, what, is, uh, what is new has come. And we get to see people made new. Let's celebrate that together. I hope as you bow your head with me just for a moment, the Lord has spoke to you in just a couple simple ways. Think about the discipleship journey and your responsibility in it for being a discipler and being a disciple. Thank you, Lord God, that you empower us with authority. You give us all the tools to preach it, to tell people about Jesus. Help us to utilize our story. Help us face times when we're rejected. People don't embrace it, God. It's just part of it. Help us to embrace it. Motivate us, Lord, now from that. We know that you have other things in mind sometimes. They got nothing to do with what we thought would, would happen. I pray, God, that <clears throat> we would not take lightly the, the fact that you've included us in this mission how important it is, Lord God, as a church, as Christ followers, as a household of faith, to live it in a way that truly means we're gonna experience some rejection once in a while. We you know it's just a part of the journey. Help us with the next generation, with our own children. Give them, to, to, to give them freedom uh, to learn things. Sometimes a hard way doesn't mean, Lord God, that we shouldn't equip and train and, and teach and hold accountable while they're in our home, God, but help us to set them free so that they can own it for themselves. So 
Sometimes these things are painful in our own family. But we know that it can be recycled into pro, uh, to be profitable. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus and his life here and all that he experienced. We pray that now it would apply to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.